Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I know this is supposed to be about the X-Men, but I'm clearly going to make a very strong stand here. This episode is dedicated to the memory of the one, the only, the true hero, Jen Walters. She-Hulk's time on this Earth and many other Earths was far too short-lived, if you ask me. I kind of can't believe Dan Slott put his fucking name on a book that took my queen out. But hey, whatever. Oh, right, also, we're going to talk about the X-Men today. I guess that makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike all those mutant zombies on Genosha right now, and probably two people of the horticulture people, and like, Monet, a lot of people are getting very hurt over on Genosha. Maybe it's just a cursed island. Well, that might be a cursed island, but this fine day, we are the luckiest podcast on the All of X Twitter and the Xverse, and that is because with us today, we have artist extraordinaire and generally awesome guy i want to welcome chongo to the show hey everybody welcome chongo welcome hey guys did you set me up way too high now i feel like i have to live up to that it's okay last week i set nathan up so low i was like the amazing nathan (laughs) well now i gotta know what was your first introduction to the x-men My first introduction to X-Men actually was the comic books. I was at the flea market one day. I saw a bunch of long boxes. I didn't know what they were, so I was just looking through them. And then there was a goddess storm at one of the covers, and I fell instantly in love as soon as I picked it up and started going through the pages. And I was like, from that moment on, I wanted everything X-related. Well, and now you contribute to the awesomeness that is X-Men fandom with your awesome line of fan shirts, which, hey guys, everybody who retweets the post of this episode is entered to win one of two shirts we'll be giving away. So you're definitely going to want to check out the link we're going to include to Chongo's shop, and we'll be giving away two shirts. And all you got to do to enter is retweet. So you definitely want to take a look at that. Now, what's your favorite X-Team, Chong? Go. I, can you shorten Chongo to Chong? Is that like a wow. thing? <laughs> to Chong? <laughs> I take a whole different persona when I become Chong. I. It's like, you know, there's there's Glenn or Glenda, there's Juan or Juanda, and there's Chon or Changa. There you go. <laughs> but, um, my favorite X team would be actually Generation X or X Factor Investigation. Oh, those are two of my favorite teams ever. I grew up basically with the Gen X kids, so that was like my team. Like, I really got in the thick of it during the Phalanx Covenant, so hence why I kind of like spacey stuff. So it's really cool, like, seeing them throughout the history be brought back, forgotten, brought back, and forgotten again. And 
I actually think the elements of the 90s that are starting to creep up in interesting ways, the idea of the phalanx as an entity, as opposed to the phalanx as a character, is one of the strengths of the Hickman era. Now, you brought up Storm, and that tickles my my happiest, my happiest inside part, because the X-Men are best defined, for me in many ways, by their divas. Oh, absolutely. My ultimate ex-diva is Jean Grey. I gotta know, at this moment, who is everybody's mm. ex-diva? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> you see. Okay, that's taking y'all way too long. Uh, well, okay, well, there's too many choices. I have to say Emma because Emma is my queen. I do anything for Emma. I want Emma to step on me. I want to step on Emma. There's a lot <laughs> I want to do to Emma that I want to be her best friend. But like making me choose between Emma, Ileana, and Tabby, I think is a crime against humanity. And okay. um, what, what if I give you Emma is your couture diva, Ileana is your goth diva. And we'll call Tabby your arcade diva because it's that or like low rent 80s punk rock girl. I prefer that. Actually, no, Polaris is pulling that off right now. Yeah, Polaris is going through her goth phase, go. and I feel like we shouldn't really take that away from her because she doesn't really have a lot. But especially after the events <laughs> of what happened over in X-Men Empire, Ileana is in like really coming for Emma's spot and I feel bad for Emma. Does, any, does anybody else want to know why Magic was disqualified from the quarry? Like, in rereading Cable in preparation for this week, that's all that I can think about. Very much so. I mean, that's that's been that's been hanging over us for quite a while. I mean, since, uh, what was that, X-Men 9? Pre-quarantine. Pre-quarantine Yeah. I, you know, I think that's a great question, but I, the real question is, who the fuck does Emma think she is to come between a man and a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I just felt so bad for Scott. The man is such a sub, and he just wants to eat his sub. <laughs> his dumb comes in and stops him from getting his sub. What a sad day. Maddie, you probably have a favorite ex-diva, and as our resident heterosexual... You have a unique perspective on ex-divas. You're very respectful of ladies, absolutely, but you see something that the media has worked to engineer out of these women that's in many ways wasted on the rest of us. To be honest, I, as I hope at least a number of white cis ex-fans and comic fans at large are, I'm a little bit put off by the overt sexualization of the female character. Um, Just say Petra. Said, if- <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm doing my backpedaling Vulcan Vulcan good guyness from X Men Ten right now. If I had to if I had to pick a diva right now, I'd be a little hard pressed. I don't think a lot of women, save for Emma and Magic, are getting a lot of time in the sun. And I think to call Polaris right now after one issue of X Factor a diva would be to do her a disservice. But if I had to pick anyone. I do love me some Polaris. X-Factor number one, as we discussed last week, was a banger. You see, that's really interesting to say because, like, I feel like right now, like, they're slowly trying to build up, like, the women. Like, just seeing Psylocke in the two issues of Hellions, I was like, okay, so I see you, Psylocke. You're the leader of this team, and you're keeping all these guys in check out of all the people to be in that team as a leader. I was like, okay, I see you. Exactly. And, like, if I can, for one moment, Domino is the diva Petey from our gang, 
And I love her so much. Domino over on X-Force is representing everything I need, like a shoot you, kill you dead kind of (laughs) diva to bring to the table. And she's bringing it. Like, the only thing I think that would make Domino even cooler, and this is so fucking gross and everybody's going to boo me, but I would love it if they can't quite resurrect protocol random right and so domino just gets to use him as an amorphous gun oh <laughs> mm. well i feel like that's essentially why they gave her like the Kirk cohen uh accessory arm she is random now exactly i just i feel like if they were like oh random's dna is in there that would just tickle me for no reason that would make her the first chimera that we know of that the first oh. chimera I was originally going to say Kate, but I think with her being dead, uh, I'm going to disqualify her. Um, She's not your ghost diva? Uh, she she can be a ghost Ooh. diva, but... We love a ghost diva. But I'm, instead, I'm going to go with uh, Betsy. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I I just love the way that she's leading Excalibur right now. I love her outfit. I just... She just feels really awesome to me right now what would she be considered is she like magical sword girl diva or like what is she what would you consider her captain diva yeah captain diva i feel like that really is and like i mean diva like wwe diva i mean diva like cheetah rivera is a great diva of the stage i mean like i mean diva in the most classic sense of the word and I really feel like one of the coolest things that the X-Men has given us in the last couple of years is so many fantastically varied women. And the way they vary is so beautiful. I don't know that I think Betsy's very obvious, horrible flaws are, number one, bad at all. But number two, they're not the same as Quanin's flaws. They used to be the same fucking lady. So... It's just so beautiful to see how the X-Men has embraced women as a whole. And if we're going to talk about Lorna for one second, I got to throw it out there. Chongo's Lorna t-shirt is one of my favorite designs he's done. (laughs) Speaking of Chongo, some of our listeners might want to multitask. So if you wanted to plug your site, now would be a pretty good time. I'm T Public. You go to T Public and you search Chongo A T X, and all my designs are up there uh, from all on various forms of fandom. I like to try to make sure that I'm making designs that I would wear. So I make things that I like, and if you like them too, bonus. You know what's so funny? When I said our listeners would want to know, I really meant that I wanted to know, and now I can't unknow. <laughs> um, I'm I'm in love. I'm in love. Your Emma holding a shark is adorable. <laughs> that's my newest one. <laughs> oh, I love it. Now that's a reference to the most recent issue of Deadpool, right? Yes, yes, it is. So this issue of Deadpool was something I was really looking forward to, and then in all of the reshuffle. I missed out on it, so I'm really looking forward to grabbing this issue of Deadpool to just kind of drop in a side review on it in the near future. I It's so weird because I don't love Deadpool. I love Cable. But my husband has recently pointed out to me that's because I am the Deadpool to his Cable. <laughs> oh, boy. So I guess, you know, makes sense.
And from chimichangas to chongo, I actually want to stress one of the most beautiful things about you being on this episode and why I'm so grateful to have you as a guest on this episode. Something that we as a team have thought it's really important to do is to expand our understanding of the Marvel Universe at large. And with so many amazing things intersecting with the X-Books the way they have been, whether it's going back 10 years and seeing the beautiful baby brew, also a wonderful chongo design, uh, show up in the pages of Astonishing X-Men and then in Wolverine and the X-Men, as well as the ever-loving phalanx of space that's running through the pages of Hox Pox Dox Ox. I think <laughs> that Empire was something we had to jump into. And just to get a quick round robin from all the hosts here, I'm pretty sure, I know I was giving, before this particular issue, I was giving Empire as a whole about a 4 out of 10. How about the rest of my hosts? I am about the uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, you know, yeah, that's pretty I'll be, accurate. I'll be, I'll be kind because I think there's a lot of art to enjoy, and I don't exactly think that Al Ewing is doing a poor job with the script. So I'll give it a five. It's it's just the story. It's really nobody's fault, but it's it's well. Oof. And now here we are, standing on the other side of what was by far my favorite issue of the run. And I am so excited because with us today is a guy who stands space, Marvel, like, what? So, Chongo, can you give us a little bit of what you've noticed we maybe should know going into this that we've missed out on? Well, I feel like a lot of what people are missing out on is the fact that Al Ewing and Dan Sod are picking up a lot of old storylines that have been throughout Marvel history. Like, the history between the Fantastic Four and the Scroll has been very tumultuous. Like, come on, they turned them into cows and put them out in a field, and for a long time the Scrolls believed themselves to be cows. And then they got real eaten. Then they got eaten. <laughs> and then, like, we had, like, mutated scrolls be part of the X-Men team. You had the Kadra K. Oh, shit. I completely forgot Kadra K. Yeah. Uh, maximum security. Yep. Um, that would have been, shit, it's maximum security. So, I could, Kurt Busick and uh, George Perez. Yes, sir. Holy shit. Yeah, I completely forgot about Kadra K. Kadra K, you stay. <laughs> when when you think about like the scroll and the creed history like they're intertwined with a lot of marvel at large and that's what i love what out you and dance are doing they they're going back and rethreading a bunch of these plots of like okay the relationship with the avengers the avengers relationship with the kotati with like how during celestial madonna or celestial quest the kotati believed that the avengers were the reason that sequoia was gonna get killed by thanos so like there's animosity built in there there's a rich history but i feel like without having given people like a prologue like without being like well here's all the list of things you have to read before you want to read this a lot of people are losing a lot of the context that's being written into the story it's kind of sucks if you don't read the old stuff but that they're touching on a lot of it and it's really cool like there's stuff like in celestial messiah that parallel stuff from young avengers run with killing gillen so i'm like oh my god the stuff that's being written to me from knowing all the back history it's pretty great. You know, and to give credence to something that you're saying, Chango, as probably the most casual ex-reader on the panel, I definitely can agree that it feels like part of what I'm missing about the story here isn't from explicitly poor writing, but it's from a lack of context. So it is good to know right. that, that from a more experienced ex-reader, you would at least agree that a prologue might have been necessary. Incoming was interesting way of, of tying it in. Like, yeah, they kind of gave you somewhat of a prologue, but like, even in the Empire, 
vampire number zero issue like that still didn't tell you enough of the history like people didn't know who sequoia was coming into this like yeah it's mantis's son and swordsman's son but you don't know what sequoia's reason for being is he's supposed to be the celestial messiah for the universe he's supposed to be the chosen one the perfect child none of these people know that so like it, it seems kind of like weird for everyone to be like so why am i supposed to care about this character now and it's i love how this conversation just came together because this really it like set my gears moving and i flashed back to one of the most derisive x-men crossovers ever schism now, oh, yeah. there's two schisms just to make sure no one's confused there's extreme x-men's four issue series schism which introduces tullamore vogue and i think that's tremendous there's also jason aaron's schism which split the books into the two teams the extinction team and the school team and there was a prologue to schism called prelude to schism which was four very boring issues by paul jenkins and i've read that a number of times before reading schism and every time i read it i'm like yeah this is just such a dumb rehash. I think it turns out those dumb rehashes are necessary if you're not used to playing in the sandbox. Correct. I would have yeah, I would have loved a prelude to Empire. I like the two prologues, but and as much as I've enjoyed the first half, I probably still would have squished down this first five issues, the two zeros and one, two, three, like into like two giant sized issues, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think there's any better place to jump in then. So for better or worse, today we're covering Empire Number 4 with story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, script by Al Ewing, artist Valerio Shidi, color artist Marte Gracia, letterer VC's Joe Caramagna, and cover by Jim Chung and Guru EFX. I definitely think the story is starting to move in a direction. I think we're starting to see a little bit of forward momentum. I think we had a lot of pretty good moments between Mantis and Sequoia. I think Sequoia intransigence is only matched by Teddy's and I don't particularly love that but I was very happy to see Wiccan come back into the frame and I think that I think that the next issue is really going to be the crux for me at over the halfway point in deciding whether or not my tune will change on Empire at large. Jonah how did you feel? I mostly felt bored and because I felt like a lot of these twists that they're trying to set up or they were trying to give us a payoff for felt obvious like I kind of figured I know it maybe wasn't mentioned but in the back of my mind I was like oh She-Hulk is gonna turn they the Kotati were the one who gave her the staff to make her smart as well as control her rage she's obviously going to turn there's something wrong there clearly and obviously that's what happened with weird to quickly segue into something that I want to talk about real fast. I love all the flower body horror. It might not be everybody's cup of tea because, you know, tea is made from leaves, but I have really enjoyed it. So that's been my favorite part. And I loved the symmetry between She-Hulk's flower body horror and Vulcan's body horror. That symmetry between they both have that greenish reddish monster thing that's about to be put in them. Like there's something so gorgeous about that fluidity of idea. Now, She-Hulk's such a big thing for me. I I love her way too much. And I'm right there with you. I'm only overjoyed that I know we're getting an immortal She-Hulk one shot after all of this is over. And that the body horror of the immortal Hulk has been such a humongous success for everybody attached. I definitely was unsettled by the moment. And Kyle, when you messaged me and you were like, they fridged She-Hulk off panel. I was like, yes, 
Why would they do that? <laughs> yeah, I I was uh, pretty upset by that whole thing. With the realization that we are getting a immortal She-Hulk story, it kind of cools that anger a bit, but I'm still angry that all of that happened off panel and we just got a quick flashback. You see, I feel like this is interesting because Al Ewing, obviously writing Immortal Hulk, one of the best Hulk runs so far, I feel like he purposefully wanted to do something with She-Hulk because that is the only Hulk he hasn't really touched on. Because there's obviously something going on with her from Jason Aaron's Avengers run. and Which now, I'm and still loving is up to high hell. I just love that run. I just think it's so great. It's so in- it's an interesting run. I'll give you that. It's really interesting. It's a lot of toys being played with in that run. Yeah, I feel like Immortal Hulk is going to tie in with She-Hulk. And the fact that it's the last issue of Empire before the prologues, I'm like, that. there's sense. Al Ewing's setting something up for She-Hulk, which makes my heart happy. Especially knowing that, like, she's this beast of a woman who's finally, like, getting control, I guess, thanks to the Katati. The whole uh, She-Hulk being killed and replaced off screen like this does anybody see a kind of similarity between her change in personality and teddy's personality change after his nap yeah brought to mind that and the whole she hulk is secretly a bomb kind of thing reminded me of in secret invasion the scrolls plan to weaponize the wasp into a giant expanding bomb so space alien races really enjoy body horror experimentation on humans and super beings that the humans and super beings can't tell it's it's a trope that i accept and expect every time there's a shapeshifter Right. And that's that's what the way I saw it. Like and I like the fact that both of those were brought up in the same issue because you're seeing that the parallels of both of these races are going about things the same way. They're using people to their advantage. And it's all happening off panel where they're like, Oh, we're gonna go take She Hulk out to go see the healing waters and then guess what they're doing? They're freaking body snatching her. And then the same thing with Teddy where they're like, Oh, go get some sleep except we're not you're not gonna go get sleep. I think that's his grandmother. It's like the oh his grandmother that's I like I actually think that's his grandmother shapeshifted as him right now. In this issue, yeah. You know, and I I definitely went at her last week. I was like, this doesn't matter to anyone who doesn't care, but I care, so I just want to see her everywhere. Well, did you guys notice the different eye color? No. No. Yes. Teddy's eyes are blue. Sparkling blue. Like like a certain like a certain Kevo that appears on the show. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah so teddy's eyes when he came back were Yellow. a different cut they were like yeah. oh wow speaking of green queens i am 95.3 percent sure that most everybody in this conversation's experience with mantis is exclusively the sort of the office funny mantis from guardians of the galaxy yes oh god <laughs> yep Yep. I mean, I like that Mantis. She's adorable in an Anya on Buffy kind of way, but she's not Mantis. No, at all. At all. 
So, Maddie, was this a shock to see this incredibly different Mantis from the one you would know from the cinematic universe? And the fact that they would lean into a very different iteration than from the cinematic universe? It wasn't a surprise, if only for the reason that I like to do my homework. And when Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was coming out and Mantis was announced as part of the cast, I did a little bit of research, which primed me, I guess, in a sense, for the reading of Empire, because it did tackle some of the uh, Celestial Quest. But I was already familiar with her design, and I'd become a little bit more familiar with the difference in her characterization, even if I had not experienced it firsthand. So not not terribly surprising, but definitely good to see her make an appearance, you know, if for no other reason than my own edification. Jonah, Mantis is one of those characters that I feel like you could know a bunch about the Marvel Universe and still not have too much experience with. Same with Swordsman. The Avengers and Fantastic Four side of Empire, which is, you know, 90% of it is a little bit removed from the things we've been studying stepping into these characters this extensive vertigree how do you feel looking at the bigger picture of marvel space as it relates to these heroes back on earth i feel like with empire they're it feels like they're not really utilizing space it feels like that's just part of the setting for the most part of what we've seen of empire it's mostly contained on the moon and earth for this what to me was set up as like this big space war it isn't really in space it's kind of just like that's a setting that they happen to be in in a play but like it's not an important setting so they don't even have a proper backdrop for it or like you know pieces for it it's kind of just like they bring down like this big canvas and there's like stars and you see the moon and they're like we're in space and they bring it up and they have bigger and better sets we're doing a production of space wicked but we can only afford the initial curtain the whole <laughs> show takes place in front of the curtain <laughs> no one look behind the curtain there's nothing oh, there oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <Sit down. laughs> space okay now we've been avoiding the the thing that we've wanted to talk about the most in this entire issue i i have a million things i want to say about carol and her ultimate weapon and a trillion things i want to say about the glorious hotness that is t'challa wielding a sword but I have to be really gay for a minute, and I have to talk about uh, Gay Mary. Gay, gay Mary. Hey, everybody. Gay wedding. What's up? <laughs> it's a gay wedding that's not my husband. Gay wedding. It was so gay, and that's what I wanted. I was like, where's Billy been this whole time? But so gay. He's, he's been, been gay. He's been up. Is Billy a, what's the term for it? Army mil so, uh, army military significant other? Did they get married before Teddy went to be a space terrorist? They must have. Yeah. When did they, ooh, so I want to know, do we know where the wedding goes yet? Well, no, well, we all should. They they released the previews and... Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is your friendly neighborhood spoiler warning. The next two minutes are going to contain information that has only been released in preview form so far. So if you are not interested in knowing about content that has yet to be formally released in issue form, but is currently available to be read as a preview online, I would skip ahead about two minutes. At that point, our normal conversation of the material that's been released resumes. And hey, have a great day! Basically, Hulkling had like an hour to get his life together. So in that time, him and Teddy and Billy hooked up. And after that, they were talking about, you know, 
what's going to happen to them. And Teddy's like, well, I would like to marry you. And they're like, what? And then he goes, yeah, I would like to get married. And they're like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, well, we have 30 minutes. Better get a wedding together. So they sent out a mass text message to all their friends. And they didn't think anyone was going to show up. But they they show up to Vegas to go have a big gay wedding in Vegas. And all the Young Avengers are there with them. I think what's really important about making such a humongous deal and kind of spoiling an event that is coming is for the sake of story narrative flow, they wanted an impactful moment that indicated some real connection to Billy and Teddy as a couple seated throughout this story. But in order to do that, in some ways, they had to kind of eat back a little bit of the emotional impact of the moment. So while they did take away the opportunity to see them get married at the time and kind of made it an but aha, by giving so much information that more is coming and making it clear that this wasn't a last second story moment decision. I think this is an example of where using the media machine to leak information quickly softened the blow of the negative. It's why I think the Immortal She-Hulk one-shot was announced so far in advance of Empire number four so that no one could be like, well, she just got fridged. She got fridged, but she's coming back. Okay, it did happen, but I'm mitigated. Okay, they're getting gay married. Well, they got gay married, huh? Oh, but I do get to see it. All right, my anger is mitigated. Yeah. And what I noticed a lot with this whole run is they're pretty much just dropping you in the middle of an event and then working their way backwards. It's the same thing with the wedding. They showed you the wedding, but then they're going to give you what happens later. Like it's, it's a lot of like backwards riding with this whole event to where you're like, okay, so now I'm going to figure out what happened there. Oh, now I'm going to figure out what happened there. So it's interesting that they're riding it that way. I think the most interesting part about the entire Empire saga so far has been the Teddy stuff, even if I don't even like it. So a lot of the Tony um, Reed interactions don't really resonate with me because they're kind of meh. Like, I I don't really know how to feel about them because they kind of just seem like two nerds who don't really know how to interact with one another and, like, two men who don't know how to express their feelings. So, like... I don't know. You know, I I personally just am glad that that intro is there, if for no other reason than not abandoning the Tony and Reed narrative as we move into the bigger picture of Empire. I would be a little disappointed if after an Empire Fantastic Four number zero and an Empire Avengers number zero, both focusing so heavily on Reed and Tony respectively, that carried over into the first few issues of Empire, if that narrative were to just go away, I would be all the more upset. So I do feel like it is a little bit shoehorned, and I definitely think it is two emotionally invalid men but i think that it being there is for the sake of symmetry at this point guy science problems unite (laughs) you see i kind of like it because i'm like for once it's not oh iron man and reed are gonna save the day here come the two guys cis guys that are smarter than everybody that are gonna save the day I'm like, I'm kind of liking that they're just off to the side, kind of not being the main figures. Like, we got their perspective early on, but the whole thing this is building around is, you know, all this other characters that we don't usually get to focus on, or characters that no one really knows are getting their moment.
want to have a story. Holy shit. Holy shit. You just made it so clear for me, Chongo. Oh my God. And and Jonah's comment and Maddie's comment. Oh my God. Okay. This is a rite of passage transition moment. We are seeing Tony and Reed stand on the sidelines while T'Challa rises to the occasion, the powerful black male lead who is going to be leading the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward, steps in as the powerful force of big science. And famously, T'Challa and Reed are very good friends, if not best friends. I mean, there is that point at which Reed was the anchor to T'Challa on Earth that would allow T'Challa to become the Panther God of the Dead. So mm-hmm. that is definitely a thread there. And then Disney has made it very clear that they are putting all of their heart behind Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. And the cinematic universe, might, you might have heard there was this movie Endgame, Tony died or something. And they're <laughs> kind of transitioning over to Carol there. So in some ways, Empire is a sense of sort of that, okay, this is going to sound so stupid, but that World War II sense of ex-Empire in which somebody finally poked England and was like, you can't own India, right? It's kind of like somebody finally poked white people and, and men and was like, you have to share with the billion dollar industry. She made a billion and he made a billion and you, Fantastic Four, your sorry ass, has never made a billion dollars. Check out Fantastic Four.html <laughs> currently running on Cage Club Network featuring myself, Kevo, Jonah, Maddie, and more. But more to the point, this is a transitionary moment, and they are passing the baton to those who will lead it next. And I feel it down into the very pit of my stomach that this is a good thing. Yeah. If you even look at the Avengers run, they did the same thing. They took Iron Man out of the game. So it wasn't Iron Man and the Avengers. It was T'Challa leading the Avengers. Oh, and there was so much Robbie. (laughs) But in, in echoing Chango's sentiment, I will say that I am going to need a much bigger presence from both Carol and T'Challa if we're going to stand this idea. Correct. And that's the thing, though. I feel like I don't know if reducing the books that were involved in the tie-ins is going to hurt the story overall or benefit it. Because I'm like, okay, I wanted to see the uh, Agents of Wakanda battle in Wakanda. I wanted to see more of them. I wanted to see more of the Black Panther team. And I wanted to see how that correlates to the whole narrative at large. But like now I'm not having it. I'm like, okay, does it matter? Like, was there something of importance in there? And because so far we haven't gotten much of T'Challa's story. I've looked over the tie-ins and I agree. I feel like T'Challa, as well as a lot of the players I kind of expected to see here are getting shortchanged. And like not to be, you know, whiny about my little corner of the Marvel Universe, but I know I was not the only person excited for the union this week was looking to be a female-led team featuring UK superheroes that we're not really getting from Excalibur, which is called Excalibur and represents Excalibur ideologically, but not culturally, literally. And I don't think we necessarily need, you know, pump up the whiteness. But like, I was excited for the union and I was really disappointed to see it get shortchanged so heavily. Right. Was... It's like, you know how like in War of the Realms, you got to see different regions and how it affected those regions. Like, I felt like that's what the tie-in was going to do. It was going to show us how it's affecting, you know, the UK or Britain, as well as, you know, how it translates to the X-Men being there as well. Who, well who's really fighting for Britain? Well, let's talk about who's fucking fighting with some X-Men, guys. X-Men Empire number two is the best kind of shitstorm. 
It is uh, the best kind of shitstorm I can imagine. And at the same time, X-Men 10 told a completely different story that still felt like it was not part of the same crossover that this didn't feel like it was part of at all. But God, I really loved X-Men Empire number two, and I really loved X-Men number 10, and I, I just can't wait to start talking about these. Kyle, I remember you freaked out about X-Men number two and hit me up right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brain kind of exploded when the final page was turned, and I, I was just like, oh my God, I need to tell Nico right now. <laughs> Empire X-Men number two, Growing Strong, was written by Jerry Dugan, Ben Percy, and Leah Williams. Uh, pencils by Lucas uh, Wernick. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Lettering by VCs Clayton Cowles and cover artists uh, Steven Segovia and Sonny Go. That last page. I mean, like, yes, great. Yes, himbo stuff. Everyone loves Twitter. I'm so happy. Angel is finally being treated like the punk-ass bitch he is. Monet had dialogue. Ileana had control. But nothing fucking matters. Number one, Ileana in the soul armor. Everything to me. Yes. But that oh, last sorry. page. Quentin's I'm with that stupid. last page. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm with stupid t-shirt just putting down the likes of the cuckoos of exodus of Everyone. sinister every celine lady Look, mastermind sorry, dude, the irony of it that he's wearing that shirt but he's consistently died every issue every issue he's in it's <laughs> yep. hilarious and the fact that they are so clever that you know i i've stand quentin since it was way too problematic and now it's just mostly <laughs> too problematic and the first thing i had commissioned by nick bradshaw is an image of wolverine wearing a t-shirt of quentin choir's face that says choir was right referencing the Magneto was right t-shirt and one of the big things is that Quentin Quire expresses himself through pop iconography and a very strong sense of street art it's that image of Wolverine and the X-Men number three do you remember when Wolverine was cool yeah me neither and that's really who he is and I just need to touch on this for one moment so the cuckoos I mean they've done some bad stuff but I mean they're mostly the cuckoos and we love them Exodus is, as everybody might remember, my all-time favorite religious zealot ever, so that he's here is the greatest day of my life. I love both masterminds that are here. I only am sad that one is missing. And, you know, Celine's kind of committed genocide, and, you know, so is Mr. Sinister. But no, the one where everybody draws the line is Aubrey Plaza? <laughs> 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 the problem everyone has with this page of fucking serial killers is Shadow King. I mean, Sinister eats people. I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely one of those people that was like, I draw the line at Shadow uh, King. What? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, I do agree. Of everybody on there, it's sort of those back three that have committed the most insane murders. You know, in, in, in fairness to the, the assemblage that we're looking at here, they weren't exactly very specific. Angel uh, Angel or Magic, whomever it was that called out to Frakoa, just said all, all psychics, all telepaths who are currently available. I mean, I don't think the Shadow King was exactly invited to the, the Green Lagoon. You know what I mean? I think he has a lot of free time right. to fill. Like, perhaps maybe the Shadow King even psychically intercepted the conversation with the the because okay i I'm, i know i'm jumping all over the place but guys little tom guys little, little tom, tom. Adorable. you see because okay. angel's a dirty boy you guys are freaking about the last page i'm freaking about about tom. thank you tom is amazing in this issue. yes like 
Give credit where it's Black due. Tom is now a Krakoan portal or or interfaced with a Krakoan portal. Oh my god, that image. Oh my god, that they're going through his mouth. Oh, and oh. he looks he looks like deranged. That that look on his face, he's just like like I just love it so much. I, I think there needs to be a correction here. Uh, Angel is not a himbo because one of the tenets of being a himbo is being lovably stupid and Angel is, this is like a compliment, Angel's not stupid, so he can't be a himbo. He's not also that lovable. No, he's not dumb. <laughs> well, y- you got me there. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to catch Chongo up on this. Uh, anytime we have ever taken a your least favorite X-Man poll, just about without fail, Angel comes up our least favorite X-Man every time. He was like our least favorite member of Champions. He was our least favorite Defender. Oh, oh. We just well, do not love the Warren Worthington line of characterization. Listen, there's a lot of Warren Worthington stance online, but like to me, he never resonated to me because I'm like, why am I supposed to care about this rich, rich white dude with wings and daddy issues? Oh, he's like, gorgeous and blonde. I'm so sorry for his problem. Right. I'm like, wear a jacket. Wear a jacket, boy. It's not that hard. I got big feet, but I still got to wear shoes. So, okay, but at the end of the day, I think the stars of this issue were not the gloriousness that was the mutants or their villains. No, 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 no. I do believe the villainous Golden Girls, uh, Horticulture stole the show this issue. And I think it's because Horticulture steals the show every issue. Frequently, we associate contradictory visuals with narrative strength. So seeing these old ladies be horny and bitchy and pop culture-y is a lot of fun. And it's through that lens that this X team is really leaning into giving this their all. They're just letting the story be what it is. And if I'm not mistaken, the format of this book is the writers that are working on it try to write the next writer into a corner. The project here is the writers are all working together, knowing what has to be the outcome, and are challenging each other to pick up the threads of their last issue with the next one. And it is churning out some very brave work. Well, the interesting thing is you could definitely tell who wrote what parts in this book. You can absolutely tell who's taking lead on what parts. A hundred percent. You can hear the Leah in the angel pages. You know where the Jerry is. This was the Ileana issue starring Ileana and maybe some backup dancers. Uh, I'm okay with this because <laughs> Ileana is my everything. And that's one another Marvel character I would love to be friends with in real life. Like, ev- like everything was just so amazing. I-, I didn't know it was called the Soul Armor, but goddamn, it's just everything I could have wanted and more. Her with her horns, her summoning her demon battalions, her legions, I should say. It's just, you know, everything. In the context of this being part of the Empire narrative, it's really far removed for me. And I don't care about it in terms of Empire. I like it in terms of X-Men. I wish Monet got a little bit more, and I'm also just confused, why is no one able to deal with the horticulture? Who the fuck are they? Why do, why do they have an answer for everybody? That's what I need to know. <laughs> right. That's what I found interesting, too, because even Magic said that. She's like, why can they go through the teleporter? What's up with that? Like, she was the voice of reason. Are they potentially mutants? <laughs> 
And if they are, do they have some sort of knowledge of things? And like Krakoa can create things and produce things in other locations. Is Krakoa not that unique? True, yeah. And, you know, Maddie, you made a really great comment, I want to say two episodes ago, maybe three. It's Time is in memoria at this point. But you'd commented that we don't see enough of the great captains and that that was something you looked to see more of in a capacity as great captains. And Ileana owns her captainship here. Meanwhile, in the pages of X-Men 10, Cyclops is just swinging from a space chandelier the entire time. And in, to, to Cyclops's <laughs> credit, I mean, I can't imagine being quarantined on vacation so you know i just imagine he hasn't been able to travel back from chandelure yet but no in all honesty i definitely think that cyclops is being underutilized as one of the captains i think that magic definitely stepped up to the plate and you know took the occasion upon herself and declared herself war captain and i thought that was phenomenal I didn't necessarily remember War Captain being her her specification from the pages of House and Powers, but I'm not going to argue it. Uh, it definitely to 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 mimic JoJo, it's 100% the magic issue with backup dancers this time around. Black Tom, Black Tom gets a feature. He's the opener, right? <laughs> like that time I saw Socrates open for Nelly Furtado. Oh my god! <laughs> it is interesting though how they're like definitely giving certain characters their moment to shine in these Empire tie-ins that haven't had their moments in other books. So I'm I'm enjoying that a lot. I'm just afraid to see how this at all is going to be an Empire tie-in because to me this says that horticulture is going to be pivotal in discovering the solution for eradicating the Katati from Earth. And if that's the case. Why do we need Empire? So one of the one of the great things about crossovers is it's about keeping as many irons in the fire as you can. They very well might have the way to defeat the Kotati, but they might not need that way to defeat the Kotati ultimately. Right. The, and the thing, too, is I feel like this is more important to the X-Men narrative more than it is about Empire because Horticulture having those samples of the Kotati stuff, I think, is going to come back and have repercussions to the X-Men more than anything. So that's why I feel like they're, they're tied into that, that aspect. That's, they're just building on something later. We have had so much here to have, and it has been an amazing experience. I cannot wait to come back next episode and keep talking about these amazing books as well as adding Cable Number 2 and Giant Size Phantom X, which I didn't know that you could draw masturbation and make it a comic book. But wait, 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 I wait. We it. didn't even talk about so Scott and a Speedo. What... Chongo, it's been so fucking cool having you on. I love the perspective you bring. You bring the space real, and that is definitely what we needed here. I'm walking away a bigger fan of Empire than I started. So... Where can everybody find you online and find your amazing shirts? Don't forget to retweet to get one of those amazing shirts. Yeah, you can find me all over social media at ChangoATX. That's C-H-A-N-G-O-A-T-X. Fucking incredible. And don't forget to check out his awesome merch, guys. I love these shirts and I can't wait to put some in your guys' hands. But until we return... Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantus82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me being fridged off panel on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me uh, spraying pheromones on different mutants to make them fall in love with me and think that I'm a hot, sexy, young thang all over on Twitter and Instagram. 
Hot sexy. All over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on HTML, Xs for Podcast, and Too Fast, Too Forever all summer long. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and Twitter over at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, it shouldn't have to be said, but let's make sure we say it every single time. Trans dreams matter. Black lives matter. You have to vote like your weakest friend's life depends on it because this year it sure fucking does. Amen. Make sure you are keeping up on the news and keeping yourself armed with the most powerful thing there is, knowledge and information. Keep your sources unbiased except in the ways that protect people. And until then, motherfuckers, keep those mutant lights lit. Bye. 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 Bye.